Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Thank you, Alan, for your prayers and a happy Father's Day, a day where we celebrate all of our men who father so many through being true biblical role models for our kids, our young people and for each other to follow. This morning we're continuing our series looking at the book of Philippians, a letter written by Paul to the church in Philippi whilst he was in prison. And we've called this series E.G. for example. And this is as we look at the examples set out by Paul in this letter. And today we're going to look together at the example of community. The example of community set out in the passage Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 to 30. And hopefully we will learn a little bit more about what community should look like. I don't know what comes to your head when you think of the word community. Maybe you think of togetherness or vulnerability or encouragement. Or maybe you see community slightly less positively. Maybe you think of community as something that's for people who are less skilled or less intelligent or unable to do things on their own. This morning, I want to encourage you that we are created for community, that we are created for community and that God's perfect plan is for us to live in community. And then we will look together this morning at the example set out in this passage of what community looks like and how we as a church and as individuals can build on our own communities. So before we start looking at this passage together, this letter in Philippians, I want to step back from this particular passage to explain why it is clear that we are created for community. To do this I want to look together at who God is. Throughout scripture we read about a God who is unequivocal in his oneness. There is clearly one God. Isaiah 45 verses 5 to 6 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. God is the only God. There is only one God. Brilliant, good, clear as day. But it is also clear in scripture 
that this one God has a plurality of persons. In the Old Testament, God refers to himself in the plural. Genesis chapter 1 verses 26, God says, let us make man in our image. And in Genesis 3, um, as a response to the fall, God comments saying they wanted to be like us. Now, you could well just look at this and be thinking, well, surely this is just a misprint or a mistranslation. If God is one, then why is there plural descriptions of him? Why does he talk about himself in pluralistic terms? But what becomes implicit in the Old Testament becomes explicit in the New Testament. As Simon talked about last week, Jesus comes along. Right at the start of the Jesus narrative, God sends his son, Jesus, to come onto earth as God in human form. God so loved the world that he gave his son. Then, Further on in the Jesus narrative, Jesus starts to do the work of the father. And he says, I'm only able to do these things because of the father in me. I'm only able to do these things because God is in me. Then Jesus dies in accordance to the Father's will. And then the Father raises Jesus from the dead. The Father raises Jesus from the dead. God was in Jesus. Jesus was God in human And then after that, both the Father and Jesus send together, they send the Holy Spirit onto earth. The Spirit of God was sent by the Father and by Jesus to be God in us. To be God's, the Spirit of God in us us. So there is clearly one God. As I said, God is is unequivocal in his oneness. But this one God manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Now, for thousands of years, this has caused all sorts of theological debates. It's caused fights. 
It's caused people being burnt at the stake. And it's caused a lot of confusions. And as Simon alluded to last week, there have been many heresies as theologians, as great minds, try to work out how God can be both one and three. Right now, I don't want us to overthink about how it works. How is it possible? I don't want us to spend too much time thinking of this or thinking of some kind of an, uh, of an analogy to explain a one God but three. I don't want to do that because actually often that leaves us with more questions than it does answers. Instead, for now, let's be glad that God is too great for our minds to understand him fully. He's too great for us to put in a box. I fully understand him. But instead, let's look together at what God being both one and three tells us about him. And what it tells me is this. At the very heart of God is community. At the very heart of God is relationship. And going right back to Genesis 1 verses 26 that I mentioned a few moments ago, where God says, let us make man in our image. We see that we are made in the image of a God whose very essence is to know and to be known. And that is why God asks for relationship with him. That's why God longs for relationship, because his very essence is relationship. His very essence is community and us being made in his image. So is ours. Our very essence is to be in community. We are made, we are created for community. If God was a singular person, if God was both one God and one person, and for eternity, before the world was created, before anything was created, if God had always been on his own, if God had always been completely alone, then it would be good for us to be completely alone. It would be perfect for us to be completely isolated from everyone always. It would be completely perfect for us to be extremely individualistic and not want any help from anyone. It would be perfect for us to lock ourselves away, to not see anyone and to spend time on our own always. And maybe some people right now are thinking, well, I wish that was the case. I wish I was able to get away from everyone and just spend time on my own. But instead, we are created in the image 
of a God who in the very beginning has always been in relationship and in community. And when God created man, he said, it is not good for them to be alone. It is not good for them to be alone. We are created in the image of a God whose very essence is community, whose very invitation is relationship. And therefore, we are created for community. And we're created for relationship, both with God and with each other. We are created for community. So what does this passage that we're looking at today teach us about community? Well, let's take a look. If you've got a Bible with you, will you open up uh, with me to Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 to 30. It says this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, who you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honour people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. In reading this passage over the last few weeks, it has become clear to us that the relationship between Paul and the church in Philippi was really strong. Right from the start, it was very clear that there was a lot of mutual love between Paul and the Philippian church. Paul states this right at the beginning of this letter. He talks about the love he has for the church. 
And we can clearly see that they love him too. As we read here, they sent Epaphroditus to go with some gifts to be with him and to be a gift himself to Paul, to go and help Paul with whatever he needs, to go and join Paul and to go and encourage Paul. But we also see at the very beginning of this letter that the Philippian church were worried for Paul. And Paul had to make it clear to them that although he was in chains, he was okay. Though he was being forced to stop spreading the gospel, it was still spreading. And today what we see is that though Paul was being kept from seeing his friends in Philippi, he was not on his own. In this passage, we read about two men who were clearly having a positive influence on Paul and with whom Paul had community with, Timothy and Epaphroditus. First, we read about Timothy. Paul was clearly very impressed with his friend Timothy. Timothy was one of Paul's disciples, if you like, his right-hand man, who then became his co-worker and co-preacher. He often travelled with Paul to different cities and would go at different times. Sometimes after they would go together, Paul would move on somewhere else and Timothy would help build the church that Paul started. And also sometimes Timothy would go before Paul and start a church and get them ready for Paul to come and preach the gospel. There seems to be so much trust between Paul and Timothy. And they even co-wrote quite a few of the letters in the New Testament, including this letter that we're going through, the letter to the Philippians. And we read in this passage that Paul says that Timothy has served with him as a son with his father. They were so close and they did it all together. These guys did ministry together. And Paul tells the Philippians that he is sending Timothy to be with them, seemingly to encourage them and to help them grow. Note what's interesting about what Paul says about Timothy is that Timothy isn't sent by Paul because of his giftings. Paul isn't sending Timothy to the church in Philippi because he's an excellent preacher or his leadership skills are off the charts. Instead, Paul sends Timothy because he shows genuine care for their welfare. He even says everybody looks out for their own interests, but not Timothy. No, no, no. Timothy looks out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Timothy lays aside his own interests and shows genuine care for the church in Philippi's welfare. Timothy cares deeply. He is other focused and he cares more about what Jesus's interests are than his own. 
isn't that the kind of person that you want to be in community with? And next we read about a man called Epaphroditus. And it's how Paul introduces Epaphroditus that I want us to look at today and think about what it teaches us about how community should look. Remember, Epaphroditus is from the church in Philippi. The church in Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to be with Paul, to spend time with Paul, to encourage Paul and with gifts for Paul. And now, as Paul introduces Epaphroditus to a church where Epaphroditus has come from, he uses three words. He introduces him as brother, co-worker and fellow soldier. And each of these words used to introduce um, Epaphroditus build on each other. Each of these words build on the relationship that Paul has with Epaphroditus. And in each of them, there is deep Greek meaning. Greek language is deep uh, with meaning of relationship. And as it builds on each other, we see more and more about how Paul sees his friend Epaphroditus. So the first word used to, to introduce Epaphroditus is brother, my brother. Paul loves to use the word brother. He uses it all the time as an inclusive word that he often used to talk about those that he connected with. In some translations, um, brother or sister is translated to friend. Paul also uh, calls the Philippian church brothers. He emphasises his connection with them and he goes beyond this, uh, a connection with them that goes beyond this fact that they share a faith together to the fact that they have built heart to heart relationships through spending time together. So the first word that Paul uses to talk about Epaphroditus is brother. And you'll see that as we move on to each word, each word, um, each next word has more deep uh, Greek language meaning behind it than the one before. The second introductory word of Epaphroditus used by Paul is fellow worker. This term is a term that Paul uses as he partners with Epaphroditus in serving God together. It's an introductory word that Paul uses because they go on mission together. It's a sense of working together for something bigger. Working together for the goal of glorifying God and spreading the gospel. See, it's clear that Epaphroditus was not looking at Paul's life from a distance. 
He wasn't just looking at it from a distance thinking, oh, this must be so tough for Paul. Bless him in prison, being chained up. It must be so tough. No. He invested his time and he invested his money to go and support Paul so that they would be able to do mission together. This introductory words, fellow worker, are given to Epaphroditus because they joined together to spread the good news, because they joined together in mission. It's a bond that is built from working together to serve God. And the final introductory word, uh, phrase used by Paul to describe Epaphroditus is fellow soldier. Here Paul uses war imagery, pushing the fellow worker phrase even further. Paul thinks about how he, uh, how Epaphroditus had been in the trenches with Paul. How Epaphroditus has had Paul's back and he's sacrificed everything to make Paul's ministry possible. Epaphroditus had risked his life and he had almost lost it in the process. And this is the kind of person you want in your community. Someone that will sacrifice everything for you. Someone that will risk their life for you. Someone that will fight your battles with you. There's one key difference um, between how donkeys and stallions fight. And this key difference is this. Donkeys will get gather together as they fight their enemy. They will gather together, but they will end up kicking each other. They will kick sideways and they will end up kicking each other. But stallions, on the other hand, gather together. They face inward and they kick out towards their true enemy. I want to encourage you today that when things get really tough, when when you're fighting a battle, don't try and fight the enemy alone. Have people around you that you know will go to the trenches with you and be someone that is willing to go to the trenches with those around you. Epaphroditus simply thought, Paul needs help. I'm going to help. It's the response of a brother. He's saying, I have your back. And this final description reminds us that a healthy community needs sacrifice. To have each other's back often means risking your own. There's a saying that originates from World War I fighter pilots 
and is saying is, I've got your six. And it's literally referring to the six o'clock position. It's literally referring to the rear of the plane. It means I'm right behind you and I'm looking out for you. I've got my eyes on the back of your plane. And if anyone's going to try to attack you, I've got you. I've got your back. I'm going to look after you. However, to have someone six means that you're behind them. And when you're behind them, you're in the most vulnerable position. Because if you're watching someone six, then you're left vulnerable to an attack from behind. Are you willing to have your friends back? Are you willing to have your friends six? Are you willing to be like Timothy and drop your own interests to show genuine care for someone's welfare? Someone's um, other issues become more important than your own. And like Epaphroditus, are you willing to risk anything, to drop anything for your community, for your friends? And do you have a community around you of people that you know will go to the trenches with you? And are you the kind of person that will go to the trenches with your community? Would you drop anything to go and be with your friends to pray with them when they're at their lowest will you drop anything to go and be with them embrace the invitation of community if you feel like you don't have this kind of community around you i want to encourage you to be someone who asks for help and is willing to help others. That is, in essence, how we start building a community. And often creating real community with those around you can be really daunting. I don't know about you, but when I am lost, if I'm driving and I get lost, the last thing I want to do is ask someone for directions. And even looking at my sat-nav makes me feel like I can't do it myself. I want to work out how I can do it my, myself. I want to get through it on my own. And the other day I was building some shelves um, in my flat, ready for when me and Emma get married and when she moves in to the flat with me. And I would refuse to look at any instructions. I'd refuse to ask Emma for any help who'd already built these shelves. And when I finished, I managed in the end to finish it. But when I finished, Emma said to me, Carl, that took you a long time. After 45 minutes of building it, she said, it only took me 10 minutes last time. Maybe I should have been more willing to ask for help. Sometimes building real community means having to let go of your own pride and individualism. But we are created for community. So how can we practically build community with people around us? Well, we can look at this passage. For some of us, we're at the first stage of Paul's introduction to Epaphroditus. For some of us, we need to start with building brothers 
and sisters. Maybe the challenge for you is to move from being an outside observer of Riverside, who might occasionally come online and and see what's going on or occasionally come on a Sunday. But that is your limit. I would suggest the step for you to move and to make brothers and sisters, the step for you may be to get plugged in with a small group, to embrace the community aspect of small groups and to get to know people in your group. For some of us, it's then the next step, becoming a fellow worker. Community and friendship is built when you join together in one mission. To make Jesus known. And this step must feel, might, might feel really tough during COVID-19. But maybe for you, it's responding to Keeley's email about volunteering for pantry project. Or maybe you can ask if there's any ways during this time that you can serve the church. Or for some of you still, you've got the the brothers and sisters, you've got the fellow workers. But for some of you, it's this final challenge. How can I move from having a community of brothers, sisters and fellow workers to a community of fellow soldiers? Well, I want to ask you this question this morning. What would it look like to go to the trenches with your community? Maybe it's about being even more vulnerable, about sitting and praying through the really tough things, being truly real. Or maybe it's about being someone who is willing to drop everything for your community, willing to drop everything to sit and pray, to get alongside someone, to be with someone. Often, if you're longing for community, it's that simple step of being community for someone else, for being willing to be community for someone else. We are created for community. The challenge this morning is how can we better ours? Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a relational God. That before you created anything, you were in community, you were in relationship. And Lord, I pray that you help us to build our community. I hope, I hope, I pray that you help us to be more vulnerable, to find brothers and sisters, and to be fellow workers. And even to be fellow soldiers, people that will, that will go to the trenches with those around us. So, Father, I pray that you increase the sense of community amongst us. That we will know more of who you are through the way that we have community with each other. It says in scripture that Christians will be known for the way that they love each other. And Lord, I pray that that will be the case 
at Riverside. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.